Morning. Take your Bible, your copy of the Word of God, and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, as I said in the introduction, we've, been, we've started to go through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we want to read it as much as we can during the month of August. Uh, I've, I think I've read through for this period about 10 times so far at least, and uh, it is a blessing. Just, I already got a few messages already throughout the week that the Lord has given me some uh, that the seeds of, of a message there, and uh, it's, it's a blessing to see how God can use people, including people like us, because He uses people like Peter. Uh, so we're going to begin reading right there in verse number one. And by the way, if these fans are bothering somebody, just, just raise your hand or just get up and turn them off back there. I know it sends kind of a flicker, and if you were in submarines a lot, maybe it'll bother you, but hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully it won't. But look at verse number one of 1 Peter uh, in the New Testament. The, the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy have, uh, hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, who having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven with things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, because of all those things, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your holiness. We thank you that we serve a perfect and living God. We thank you that we serve a God who became man in the name and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ, you, our Savior, Lord, took our sin to that old wicked cross, nailed it there and left him in the grave and rising three days later, proving yourself to be God and paying the debt for our sins. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you bless us this morning with your presence. Bless the reading of your word. And we know it's, it's not my words, or not anybody's words for that matter, that, that, that bring any conviction, that bring any faith, that increase anything in our lives, Lord, but your word would not return void. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We ask you to bless it. Bless the reading of your word. Bless our singing here. Bless our presence, Lord. Lord, we, we desire to meet with you, and we want to worship you. We, we want to see you high and lifted up today, Lord. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So here we have 1 Peter, the life of Peter. And as we talked about last week, uh, we, we looked a little bit at how, how Peter's faith was tried, how his faith failed, and then how his faith was strengthened. And we were reminded again last week, while Peter was a believer who was used greatly by God throughout the adolescence of the church, if you will, here in the New Testament period, he failed by the fire barrel. You remember we talked about that. He went out there and denied Christ. We just called that being around the fire barrel. Uh, but he denied him three times. Uh, you could say at first, and this is kind of uh, all just a, re a restatement of last week's. So you could say at first that Peter was all in. Remember this statement? I will follow you to the death, Lord. Even ready to die for Christ. But then he wasn't all in. Then he wasn't in at all. And then, he, and then again, he was all in again, but this time for real. This time all the way, literally, to the end. And the application last week for us was, if that same timeline was superimposed on our life, our salvation, our sanctification, our times of doubt at the fire barrel, if you will, where are we right now? Are we with the Lord? Are we walking with the Lord? Or are we still around the fire barrel? And I, I think all too often many of us Christians find ourselves content around that fire barrel. And let's, let's move on into what the Lord can use us for. Peter was certainly not perfect. But you know in his life there in the, in the book of Acts and here in First and Second Peter, we see that he never went back to that fire barrel. He made some mistakes, but he never went back to doubting God. He made a hard right for God and he kept on going for God. His entire life is a testimony to us. His entire life is a testimony. His epistles here are a testimony to us. I think he took seriously God's uh, command to him. When thou art converted, go and strengthen your brethren. And he's still doing so today through his writing. God through Peter's writings, of course. Uh, and more than that, you know, as we, as we look at Peter's epistles here and we study about what Peter has written for us, Knowing what Peter has been through, we can see even from a human perspective, he knows what he's talking about when he talks about doubt, when he talks about suffering, when he talks about all these things about that he witnessed with Christ. We know what, he, what he's talking about. And more than that, even though he was an eyewitness to these things, and even though he experienced these things, even though they qualify him to teach us something about trials and about Christ, referring to God's word, even the words through the Apostle Peter, he himself wrote in 2 Peter 1.19 that we have a more sure word. A more sure word. In other words, the words that God inspired him to write are more sure than even what he saw with his own eyes. That elevates the word of God. Now, it's kind of like, you know, we have a bunch of words. Like Peter would have a, a lot of words and say of maybe a thousand words over his lifetime, maybe a hundred words. God pretty much validated and put them in an epistle. He said, these words are right. These are, these are my words. Unlike Christ, every word he spoke was not scripture. Peter had to be led and, uh, and, uh, and driven by the scripture to write these words. So we have a more sure word. And I think that's, I think that's great. Of all in the, in the life that we live in, and things seem to be moving left and right, sideways, and everything seems to be out of where, especially this year. I mean, look at 2020. Everything is not where it's supposed to be. This hasn't moved. It's not moved at all. And Jesus Christ has not moved. It doesn't change. We have a more sure word, more sure than even the sun coming up tomorrow. So with all that said, I want us to understand and, and, and read maybe... Uh, I won't read all of this again, but I want you to jump back at verse number 13 and understanding that we have this more sure word. Uh, and Peter writes, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, 
be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be bought, brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, that word wherefore is like an archaic word for therefore. It's not real, real much of a stretch there. And it's all because of something previously stated, because of all verses 1 through 12, Let's do something about those. Let's gird up our loins and be sober and have a hope to the end because of salvation, because of what Christ did for us on Calvary. How many here are thankful for what Christ did for us on Calvary? I mean, that's why we're here. Uh, if we're not here and we don't know about Calvary, you still came to the right place. But we can make this meeting about Calvary, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And about, uh, because of those things, because of Christ, because of Calvary, and because of many trials that Peter talks about right here, he says, let's do some things about those. Let's, let's give us some advice to those reading uh, his epistle here. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So number one this morning, be prepared mentally. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now that phrase gird up, it's not something we use often. You know, it's not something we go around talking about. It's kind of like, you know, tighten up the bootstraps here a little bit. Get, get serious about what, what the task is at hand. Get, get serious about living holy, living that Christian life. Listen, if he, is, if, he's all, if he is our all, do we give him our all? Do we surrender our all to him? The introduction to this epistle here informs us that Peter is, in fact, writing to believers. He's writing to those who have accepted Christ. He's, they've had that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God moment. And they are in the process of being sanctified. And I think Peter here again is taking the Lord's command to strengthen the brethren seriously. By starting out by right here in verse 13, girding up the loins of our mind. Now in the physical sense. Uh, the phrase gird up the loins, you know, as we as we know, as we study the Bible times there and even in some parts of the world today, the men would wear long flowing garments and they would when they come to work uh, seriously, whether they're going to fight or run or just swing an axe, they would they would grab around the bottom of that and pull it up and tuck it in uh, to their girdle. They would put it around their girdle so their feet could move uh, easily. So they wanted to gather that loose clothing. And that's what Peter's talking about here, gathering the loose things of our mind. And put them in the right perspective. Put them in the right perspective. They had the, all of these things here, the girding up. The, the, it was about being prepared to do something seriously. You, know, you ever start out something and you're working on something and you're not, you don't have the right tools. You don't have maybe the right protection, you know, safety goggles or whatever. It is. You're not, you know, nothing's right. You're not even wearing the right clothes. And you, start, and you start working into it and it gets more in depth and more in depth. And you know, you know it'd be a whole lot easier if I went upstairs and got the right tool. But you still keep on going. You know, you're, you're trying to push through there. I don't need to go upstairs. I, I can get this done by the time it takes me to get down there uh, and back. But then you come to the point that's it. I'm not getting anywhere. I need to do the right thing. And I go get the right tools. Maybe I get the gloves on and maybe I do all. And then it happens so quickly. And that's kind of what Peter's getting at here. You know, many times we approach our Christian life. Well, I'll do that. I'll do this when I get to that. I'll, I'll sing better. I'll read better. I'll study better. I'll do all these things. But there's a point in our life that Peter's getting at. He says, it's time to gird up the loins of your mind. Let's get serious about being a Christian. It had to do again with preparing oneself, preparing one's mind. Girding up in the Old Testament, got, uh, it had to do with you know, the same thing, getting ready to fight or flight or, or many things. And we'll talk about some examples here. But it had to do again with, with going 
on a, on a movement. Let me, let me think about this. Remember, remember the Old Testament when they were at Egypt, the Israelites were at Egypt, and they were there, and the Bible says they gird up their loins, so when they ate the Passover, they would be ready to move. Let me just read through some of my notes here and uh, get caught up here. He says, eat the Passover with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God was going to visit Egypt that night, and he wanted them to be ready, and the Lord Jesus Christ for us will return soon. And Peter's using that as an Old Testament example for a New Testament living. Be ready as if God is coming to, for the Israelites, because God is coming for us. We are, in a sense, pilgrims. In a foreign land. We are pilgrims in a foreign land. I don't want you to get scared of that word pilgrim. It has to do with being prepared. and has to do with not living where we, will, where we belong, if that makes sense. Our pilgrimage is in this life. The Christian life is a pilgrimage. It is not some, it is not some travel. It is not some distance. It is some faraway icon for a dead religion. Our entire life is a pilgrimage. And it doesn't end, this pilgrimage doesn't end until our living Savior takes us home. Our living Savior. It doesn't compare to any other pilgrimage in this world. It, it talks about the Christian life. And think about this. I, I use the word pilgrim and pilgrimage because that brings about a different mindset. It brings about a different mindset. If we move, you know, I've been in, in the Army for a few years and we deploy, you know, we go down range for, you know, a few months or a few a year or so, and you're there. But the whole time you're there, you realize that I am not here permanently. This is not my home. And you think differently when it's not your home because you know you have something better somewhere else. You have a place where you can let your hair down, so to speak, take your shoes off, whatever. Whatever mindset you want to use, it's not your home. Wherever your family's at is your home. And that's the mindset that Peter wants us to have in this Christian life. That's the mindset that God wants us to have in this Christian life. This is not our home. The trials themselves prove that Christ hasn't returned yet. This is not our home. We are to live recognizing the brevity of our dwelling and recognizing that the Lord will return. Living in such a way that our mindset focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. Living with a, with a mindset of a, an exodus mindset. We're, there's, there was a great exodus in the book of Exodus. There's going to be a greater exodus in the future when the Lord calls his church home. It will be the greatest exodus this planet has ever heard of. God is returning. And Peter here is telling us to gird up our loins and get ready for that return. And really he's just echoing our Lord's uh, commandment to him. He says, Jesus says in Luke 12, Let your loins be girded about and your light burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. We are always to be ready. I used an example before many years ago when I was going to the, the retreat there in Rotenburg. And uh, it was just me and my wife. We were going one night. The kids were at home. And one of the reasons the children didn't go because their rooms were a mess. And maybe it's just my kids. They don't never clean their room or sometimes clean their room. I know it's just probably my children. But they didn't clean their room that day. And I told them, this is when all three of my children were home, uh, Billy, Kaylee, and John. It's like, when we get back, I don't the rooms would be clean. And uh, we used that for an example. When we got back home, I asked them. We were gone for five, six hours. You know, Billy was, I think, 15 at the time. I asked them, when, when did you clean your room? It's like, as soon as you texted, you said you were coming home. I started cleaning their room. And that's like, we don't do that, do we, Caitlin? We, our, your room's perfect, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's the way Christians live sometimes. We're waiting for that text from God. Hey, I'm coming. And then we want to get everything in line. Then we want to gird up the loins of our minds and then start living right. But the Lord says he's going to come as a thief in the night. We must be prepared. We must gird up our, our loins today, gird up our minds, our thoughts, streamline them to Christ and his return. You know, if we focus more on the Savior and less on our circumstances, whatever those circumstances are, good, bad, or indifferent, we will realize that the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. It's much more precious than gold. You ever think about that statement there? How in the world is my trials more precious than gold in my hand? That's what the book says. More precious than gold because we are earning dividends, heavenly dividends, when we go through trials and we react and allow Lord, the Lord to live for us, live through us rather. The trial of our faith is much more precious than gold. Remember, our minds are a battleground. That's where the war happens. Our minds are a battleground. We talked about it many times. We are a three-part being, body, soul, and mind. We have the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other, and our mind's in the middle. And they just go back and forth. Our mind sometimes yields to the spirit, or it yields to the flesh. Paul wrote in Romans 7.23, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. We must keep our minds prepared for God, fixed on Jesus Christ. You know, our minds are either subject to one or the other. There's no middle ground. It's either quenching the Spirit or it's following the Spirit. And specific to our text, we should be focused on Christ and the return of Christ. Look at that verse again, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus will return. Are you ready? Are you ready? We could really stop right here at this point. Are we ready for the return of Christ? Are we ready? Are you prepared? Peter continues by writing, gird up the loins of your mind and then to be sober. So we are to be prepared mentally. And I think what he's getting at here is to be prepared emotionally. Emotionally. Look at that the whole verse again there. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So be prepared mentally, be prepared emotionally, sober. That word sober includes what probably came to your mind first. It, it includes that. Our mind should not be under the influence of any drug or anything other than the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I didn't put that together. The Holy Spirit put that together. The ratio is his, not mine. But being sober here has a greater meaning than just being under the influence of lesser spirits. Yes, as the verse states, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Peter wrote that we should gird up the loins of our minds and be sober. In context, there is a strong implication here to be prepared emotionally. To be level-headed. To not be controlled by our emotions, but by the Lord. Again, I want us to picture what Peter is trying to convey here. Girding up the loins, referencing the grabbing of the lower parts of the garment so we can get serious about what's at hand. Wrapping it around our waist uh, to be ready to work, fight, or flight. Peter was, he has already mentioned to be prepared mentally, and now I think he's taken a step further to the emotional state. Ready for the task at hand emotionally. Strong's Concordance uh, defines this word sober as being temperate. Being temperate. To have a calm and collected spirit. Be sober. 
You know, if there was ever a time we need Christians to be sober, we need Christians to be calm and collected, it is during this outrage culture that we live in. We need Christians who are mature and calm and in tune with the Father instead of in tune with what's going on in this world. We must be in tune with Him. You know, I've used this as an example before. I'm not a, a person who plays the piano, but if, you were to, if this were a, a grand what do they call those? Grand pianos? That's not right. Baby grands. There we go. You'd like that, wouldn't you, Olga? Nice, nice real, real piano. But if we had another one over here and we were, we were to tune that piano, uh, and then we were to tune this piano, if we were to tune that one to that one, and then we had like 50 other pianos in here, which obviously won't fit, but the last piano will not be in tune with this piano. It's just, it's just the way it works. But if you had one piano... And you tune that one to that one, and that one to that one, and that one to that one. All of them will be in tune. So we're here this morning not to be in tune with each other, not to be in tune with the pastor, but to be in tune with Jesus Christ. And when we're in tune with him, everything, it changes everything. Our perspective is different. Our life is different. That the ability to be calm and collected because of our different perspective is a whole lot better. It's different than what we see. You know, it's, you know we live in this world and we look through our own eyes. We see vertically. But if we allow Christ to live through us, we see this way. We see the big picture. You know, in the military, and in any job, I, I would assume, but when you're down at the lower levels, you know, you're, you're E1 or an O1 or something like that, you know, and you're just getting into the army, the more you know the big picture, the easier it is for you to comprehend what's going on. And the more you know the big picture, in my experience, the less stress that you have in your life. Because you know the purpose behind them. Even if it was a ridiculous purpose, you understand how it come to be. Calm and collected spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Just a couple of verses before verse 18, which again states, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible states, See ye then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That word circumspectly is an interesting word. It means to walk diligently. I heard one preacher, uh, one preacher compare it to us walking around that which outrages us. Like if this were the problem, and I know this is the problem, I'm not going to walk to the problem. I'm going to walk circumspectly around the problem. I'm going to avoid that which I know bothers me. I'm going to walk, I'm going to be sober in the life that I live. Walk around the issue. Listen, there are, there are things in this world, again, maybe it's just me, that just get under our skin. We all have them, I think. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. We all have those things that, it's like we have a big button on our chest that says, push here to aggravate the pastor. And you just, and there's people that know how to push them. There's, there's circumstances that know how to push our buttons. And we, we just, we just fall along with it, allowing these things to happen. But the Christian life is not to be a reactive life. We're not supposed to react to the situations. We're not supposed to react to what others do. Our actions really have nothing to do with their actions. Absolutely nothing. I know every action has the opposite and equal reaction, but not in the spiritual life. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We are to have an active life of faith. The just are to live by faith soberly, diligently, circumspectly. You could say that the just should live by faith on purpose. On purpose. So we are to be, be prepared emotionally for any and everything that this life throws at us. And by the way, sometimes this, this life throws some pretty hard things. And the only absolute way for us 
to be able to overcome those things, to go through those things, is with Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. More importantly, it's Christ through us. And the key to victory in this life, it's, it's no surprise, but it's not found going toe-to-toe with the battles, with the things that are in front of us. It's not found going toe-to-toe with an addiction or whatever it is that pushes our button. It's not found in going toe-to-toe to that. It's found by surrendering our life to Christ. It's found through surrender. It's found through surrender. Not surrendering to anything other than Christ. It's not surrendering to the lust of the flesh, to the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, as 1 John talks about. These things are not from the Father. But it, it happens, it occurs with a complete surrender to Christ. You know, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, surrender and obedience go hand in hand. I think they're the same thing. Obedience can be defined as the surrender of my will to His will. The surrender of what I want to what He wants. That's obedience. Look at verses 14 and 15 and 16 together. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy. For I am holy. Notice it starts with as obedient children. Remember the wherefore again? Because of what God has done for us, because of Calvary, because of the trials that will come, live right. Because he is holy, therefore be ye holy. Be prepared. We must be prepared mentally. We must be prepared emotionally. And then look again at verse number 13. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that has been brought unto you. Be prepared spiritually. Be prepared spiritually. And I know we're going to get to the spirit part here a little bit. It's kind of combined here in, the, in this fourth point here. But this third point here, I want us to talk about hope here for a moment. A few weeks ago, we talked about what it means to have real hope. Uh, we compared a worldly hope with a biblical hope. I hope you remember these things. That was a biblical or a worldly use of the word hope. Uh, and we concluded that hope is only as great as what the hope is placed in. As Christians, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the promises of God. And this is the kind of hope that Peter is talking about here. Notice the phrase, hope to the end. As we mentioned before, a biblical hope is a strong confidence in the promises of God. A strong confidence in the promises of God. And this verse tells us to have a strong confidence in the promises of God all the way to the end. There's no wavering, there's no quitting, we have hope to the end. In fact, the phrase to the end is one word in the Greek, and it means completely or without waver. Hope without waver. Now that, that's not a worldly hope. Our hopes, worldly speaking, in the flesh, they waver. They waver a lot. We are to have an unwavering hope in the things of God. You know, the world's version of hope is, I hope it does not rain today because I forgot my umbrella. Now, I don't generally use an umbrella, but that's kind of the mindset I'm trying to use here. But a biblical hope is a strong confidence in the promises of God all the way to the end, through thick and thin, better or worse. We gird up our loins of our minds. We're sober and we have a hope that endures all the way to the end. It doesn't budge. It's real hope and it's rooted in Jesus Christ. A worldly hope usually cares with it a measure of risk. A measure of risk. I might get wet if I do not take my umbrella. So I hope it doesn't rain because I don't have an umbrella. But this is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is connected to our faith. 
And our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who's the author of faith? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our presence, the presence of faith in His children proves an existence of God. And because He gave us that faith, it's an unwavering faith that goes all the way to the end. His children know who His children are. More importantly, He knows who His children are. So our, our hope is more closely related to the statement that I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. But even that falls short of what our hope really mean, really is. It's something much greater than that. Our hope is more dependable than the sun coming up tomorrow. Our hope is greater than anything in this universe. Our hope is in the creator of this universe. And this hope begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I got to say, if you, don't, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no hope. No biblical hope anyway. It makes a difference in this life. It makes a difference in the next life. I'm not talking about fire insurance. I'm not talking about saying a prayer, Lord, save me. I mean, if it's real, if it's genuine, it could start there. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about a little bit more than that. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about faith and hope and those things that are more important than what we see vertically. A personal relationship. I promise you it makes a difference. If you, if you have no difference in your perspective from yesterday or yesteryear or 10 years ago, there's probably a lack of a personal relationship. We must make sure he's number one in our lives. Because when it comes to God, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We all fall short of his glory. You know, in this life, nepotism, you know, favoring those that you're related to, is usually frowned upon. If... if if my mom or my dad were a judge somewhere and I was living where they were a judge at and somehow my speeding tickets just disappeared every time they went to court, you know, they probably won't be judges that much longer because they're violating. They're, they're, putting, they're putting relationships over convictions. But when it comes to our relationship with God, every time we sin, every time we get that proverbial speeding ticket, the penalty goes to the cross. It goes to the cross. Even today's sins, tomorrow's sins, yesterday's sins, they all go to the cross because either they're under the blood or they are not under the blood. If you are a believer, there's no such thing as committing a sin today and the blood not covering it. Our blood, his blood rather, is sufficient enough. And when that happens, we're standing there in that proverbial court, if you will. Our Savior looks to the Father. He says, paid for. Paid for. And even more than him paying for, the Lord comes alongside of us in this life. See, it's, it's so important to know Christ in this life because it gives us power in the next, but it also gives us power in this life. God shows much favoritism to those who are His and praise God that He does. Therefore, the key to living holy, being prepared spiritually, to having a real hope all the way to the end is, to the end is not found in our merits. It's not something we can muster up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good today for the Lord. It is found in Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. And only by that Spirit can we be prepared mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We need Jesus. If you remember anything else from this sermon, we need Jesus. More than just salvation. We need Him for sanctification. We need Him for living. This life is hard enough. We need Jesus. But I want to give you one more point before we, before we close this out this morning. I want to drive home this need for Jesus. And it's found in verse 13 again. 
Verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the end or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice also verse 4. The Bible says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So all this first, point, first three points, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I want to put all of them together that we must be prepared completely. Completely. There is a great implication in verse 13 that while grace will indeed fully come to Christians at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is reserved. The full payment, the big picture, the rest of it. We have an earnest of the Spirit today. We will see the real, the rest of the thing, the rest of God when we get to heaven. It's reserved in heaven for you. In other words, if you desire, if any of us desire, an incorruptible, an undefiled inheritance, one that never fades away, it's only through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truthfully, Jesus himself is our inheritance. But he must be knowingly and clearly accepted as our Savior. It must be a moment that we trust Him. You must recognize, we must recognize our wretchedness and accept His holiness. Without that, there is no salvation. So there must be a time in your life that you knowingly, cognizantly accepted Christ as your Savior and entered into a personal relationship with your Redeemer and your Creator. You must be spiritually born into the family of God. And while you may or may not remember the exact time and place that this occurred, you know if you're saved this morning. And you know if you have doubts this morning. And you know if you're not this morning. Listen, every, every Christian that I know of, I've ever talked to that's living right for the Lord, would say that their relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in their life. It's more superior than their relationship with their spouse, than their relationship with their children. It's with our Creator. But many of us have a vivid memory of our marriage, our wedding date, but we cannot remember the day we've been adopted into the family of God. I think we need to make sure that we're saved. Now, I'm not saying you have to remember it, but you should know for sure that you have a home in heaven. Know for sure. Because it's, it's the most significant thing to ever happen to any of us. I promise you that. It's the most significant thing. Please make sure that you have an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance in heaven, one that never fades away, reserved for you in heaven. And by the way, the only way to reserve that inheritance is to, is to call ahead. Is to call ahead. That's what it means to make a reservation. In my father's house are many mansions, many, many mansions, but you have to call ahead to get one of those. You have to make a reservation. And Jesus is that way. He is the way. The truth of the matter is that we cannot completely prepare ourselves for the days of head, but Jesus can. Many passages, including 2 Corinthians 3.18, Romans 8.9, and Romans 12.2, talk about how those with a reservation in heaven are being conformed to the image of His Son. So knowing Him is the key to being prepared. It's the key. He is the key. You have to come in faith, and He will take you just like you are. Just come in faith. Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you, this morning, want to be completely prepared for, the, for this life and the next life, if you do not have one already, make a reservation in heaven. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. 
be prepared. Be prepared today, tomorrow, and for eternity. Be prepared. Let's pray.